what I'm fundamentally looking for is I'm on a learning quest. I want to learn. You know, I'm beginner's mind always, a student always. No matter how much I know, I, I always consider myself a student. So I'm constantly on the hunt for embodied teachers, people who don't just write about and talk about ideas, but people who live it. People where I can actually look at the way that they're living their lives and say, oh, like there's something about that that I want to learn what's underneath that. You know, I want to learn how that happened. I want to learn how this person is in the world this way. And I'm constantly trying to get as close to the source as humanly possible. That's Jonathan Fields, and this is The Rich Roll Podcast. The Rich Roll Podcast. Hey everybody, how you guys doing? What's going on? My name is Rich Roll. I am your host. Welcome or welcome back to the podcast that bears my name, the show where I have the privilege of going deep and long form with some of the most interesting, some of the most provocative, uh, paradigm-breaking, positive change-making minds all across the globe. And this week, I am very excited and proud to share a tremendous conversation, a very deep and insightful conversation with my good friend, Jonathan Fields. But first, let's acknowledge the awesome organizations that make this show possible. We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel, but what you wear isn't just clothes. It is, without a doubt, technology. Technology that can make or break a performance. And I can tell you, after spending two full days meeting with the apparel wizards at On Labs in Zurich, that On is innovating in this space like no other with next-gen premium fabrics, and just this heightened level of sophistication and precision and testing and development and intentionality previously unheard of that puts them just miles beyond the competition. I've been rocking On's high-performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailor-fit, built-to-move, and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in fleet foot comfort, no matter the weather. I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team from increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to on.com richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. And it all began with treatment and experience that I had that quite literally saved my life. And in the many years since, I've in turn helped many suffering addicts and their loved ones find treatment. And with that, I know all too well just how confusing and how overwhelming and how challenging it can be to find the right place and the right level of care, especially because unfortunately, not all treatment resources adhere to ethical practices. It's a real problem, a problem I'm now happy and proud to share has been solved by the people at recovery.com who created an online support portal designed to guide, to support and empower you 
to find the ideal level of care tailored to your personal needs. They've partnered with the best global behavioral health providers to cover the full spectrum of behavioral health disorders, including substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, gambling addictions, and more. Navigating their site is simple. Search by insurance coverage, location, treatment type, you name it. Plus, you can read reviews from former patients to help you decide. Whether you're a busy exec, a parent of a struggling teen, or battling addiction yourself, I feel you. I empathize with you. I really do. And they have treatment options for you. Life in recovery is wonderful, and recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. What is the meaning of life? What happens when we die? What is our purpose here? If like me, you ponder these delicious existential questions, I have got just the thing for you. It's called Soul Boom. It's a podcast hosted by everyone's favorite best friend and my friend, the deep thinking and deeply hilarious Rain Wilson, where he communes with intellectuals and entertainers, theologians and philosophers in intimate exchanges that tickle the mind, heart, and yes, the soul. Subscribe to Soul Boom on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. Jonathan is a former big corporate law firm guy like me, uh, turned serial entrepreneur. Uh, most of his ventures are very community-driven. He's an award-winning author. He is the founder of something called Good Life Project, which is a media and education venture, as well as a global movement, all oriented around empowering people to live more engaged and connected lives. Uh, I think if there's one way of kind of describing what Jonathan does. I mean, I would say that he's a teacher in certain ways. He is a guru in the truest definition of that word, guru meaning teacher. He's somebody who helps people amplify their creativity and helps them architect better businesses, art, and lives in less time and with more joy. And that's a really beautiful thing. Uh, Jonathan's been featured in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Fast Company, Inc., Entrepreneur, Forbes, USA Today, CNBC, CNN, PBS, blah, 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 all those cool places, thousands of other websites that, in his words, sound cool, but do not impress his daughter all that much, <laughs> which I think is really cute. Uh, Jonathan's got a new book out this week. It's called How to Live a Good Life, Soulful Stories, Surprising Science and Practical Wisdom. And the book really offers uh, a gateway to a life of meaning, uh, of connection, and vitality. It's a really great book. I had the privilege of getting an advanced copy, and we talk about it today in the podcast. And I think you're really going to enjoy where Jonathan is coming from. Uh, I started following him and his writings and his teaching way back, back when I was still a very unhappy, overweight, practicing attorney. And I've always enjoyed Jonathan's very present, kind, patient, caring approach to the information uh, and the wisdom that he imparts. This is Jonathan's second time on the podcast. The first time was way, way back uh, in early 2014, I think, episode 74. Uh, you could tap that for more on his life story because this episode's a little bit more uh, subject specific. Uh, we talk about cultivating community. We talk about 
how to let go and be present, how to bridge that gap between inspiration uh, and action. We talk about Jonathan's three buckets to a good life. We talk about the fallacy of balance. We go through Jonathan's morning routines and the importance of embodied teachers. In other words, uh, people that you can be uh, present with, not just books that you read or you know people who have imparted wisdom on the page who are no longer with us. In any event, uh, I could sit and talk with Jonathan all day. I just love this conversation, uh, and I think you're going to really get a lot out of it. So without further ado, please enjoy this exchange with uh, the extraordinary Jonathan Fields. All right, we're rolling. Awesome. I know. We just, uh, for the listeners, we just geeked out for 20 minutes on podcast gear, and we're going to spare the audience <laughs> that conversation. <laughs> anyway, but it's a pleasure to uh, to see you, my friend. Uh, it's this awesome great. And out. I've been looking yeah. forward to this for a very long time. Cool, and, man. Uh, we're here in New York City in your apartment that you've opened up. Uh, sort of Jerry Rigged does a podcast studio. I right. didn't have to bring my own gear. You have your own stuff, so I'm feeling very I'm you know, here. slid right in. I'm here to please. Yeah, it's great. Um, and as I was riding my bike over over uh, over to your apartment to do this, I started thinking about like, what is it about Jonathan Fields? Like, you know, what what is it? What is it that makes this guy special? What is it that attracts me to him? And and I was sort of contemplating like for lack of a better word, your energy. Like you have really good, welcoming energy. Like oh, it's very thanks. easy to sit with you and feel at ease and not feel like you have to affect some sort of persona or try to impress you. And I have this sense that, that you know, your ability to kind of walk with that is magnetizing to your audience like hmm. it, it, it's i think it's it's one of the things that's allowed you to build this incredible tribe that you have because people feel welcome and good about being part of this community that you've cultivated is I that mean, accurate or you know it's that's like asking someone yeah like who's inside the jar to read the label outside <laughs> <laughs> it's like i don't know has he just clearly articulated what makes me special um yeah, I, it, you know, it's really interesting because I've probably occasionally just kind of sat here and thought, well, why are people actually showing up? Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't, I was not, I wasn't the kid who had a cult of personality. I wasn't the person who always had, you know, like I'm a regular middle-aged guy, you know, like married dad living on the Upper West Side of Manhattan and just doing something that deeply interests me. And, um, and I wonder sometimes, I'm like, why do people show up? Why are people interested? And, and, um, the only thing I've really come up with is that I tend to be, and I think it's, and my guess is, you know, we've been known each other for a couple of years now, that um, I'm genuinely interested in the people that I hang out with and that I, mm. I have conversations with. It just makes it really easy to be natural mm-hmm. rather than trying to sort of conjure up some sort of thing where, okay, this person has a big name or a big following, so I should be interested in them, so let me get... And mm-hmm. It's like, no, I mean, we're just, you know, like... I, you know, we've we've hung out a couple times now and recorded conversations, and it's just I love talking to you. Mm-hmm. I'm always learning from you, you. Well, you're just you're just easy to talk to. You know, I'm like uh, it'll be fine. I'm going to go over and talk to Jonathan. <laughs> I'm not going to sweat the details because we're going to figure out how to make this yeah, yeah. great. You know what I mean? Because you're a, you're you're a, you're a very natural conversationalist, and I think it's because you are tapped in. Like you have the ability to listen and uh, you know, you make eye contact and you're paying attention and you're present. And I would imagine that it's also a reflection of the work that you've done. And, and, 
you know, the kind of journey that you've been on, the meditation practice, all the mindfulness and, and everything that you kind of speak to that you also practice in your own life. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I think my sense is it probably is an outgrowth of that. But as you're speaking, something else popped into my mind that you and I share in common, which is a history in, in the law. Mm. Um, and I remember really, really, really early, I, I started my career working for the SEC. So I was thrown in to the federal government, you know, like in cinder block rooms, taking investigative testimony under the cover of, you know, like secrecy with all, literally almost no training. Mm-hmm. And I learned really, really quickly that if I went in with a, a scripted set of questions and, you know, all I would do was ask the questions, and I wouldn't pay any attention to what was being said. I'm guessing mm-hmm. you probably figured that out. Yeah, after doing <laughs> after a, my first couple depositions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but like, but that has made me a better podcaster. Totally. Like taking a million depositions, like you have to really get to the bottom right. of who somebody is. And that's where that's where I was going with it. I'm like, you know, I think that training, realizing that at some point you have to let go of the script and just mm-hmm. be present. Um, it makes because that's where the amazing things in any conversation. I'm sure you've had the same thing with the podcast. Like the best parts of the conversation happen on the tangents you never saw coming. Right. When when you actually notice them and then you follow them, you know. And yeah, if you're, if you're if you're too wed to your question, like you know, you've done this a million times. I'm sure you've done a million podcasts, and there somebody has their ten questions that they yeah. got to get through, and they're not listening. And you say your answer, and they say awesome, and then go to the <laughs> next one. Yeah, you should right, never right. struggle. And I think that's out the. It's you know on the. It's fear on behalf of the interviewer because they're afraid of dead air or they're they're afraid they're not going to know what to say next. But nah. the truth is, if you just let go of all that and you're just there and you're paying attention, the next question is always built into whatever yeah, somebody I, is saying. I so agree with that. I I had one. Um, it was funny. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was uh, I was doing a, a segment on TV actually, and they were so they were interviewing me. But the, the person, it was a t- short, tight segment, you know, like typical three, four-minute segment on TV. And, and the newscaster who was interviewing me was clearly just like the next question was on the teleprompter, and she was waiting for me to stop, just finish talking so she could just ask the next question and get through. But it was so obvious that she wasn't listening to me or, or looking at me that when they aired the segment, my community got really angry. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I, it's like I had to jump in and calm them down. I'm like, yeah. no, 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 guys. It's like this is just this is the job. It's a three minute segment. You have to go like really fierce and on pace. And then, you know, it's, don't don't be upset. It's just it's the nature. It's of It's not type a of ninety setting. minute yeah, podcast. Yeah, right. You know, it's easier to do a ninety minute podcast than it. I did, oh I did do a TV thing in Washington D.C. a couple of weeks ago, and it's the same thing. It's like you better like be able to spit your message yeah your sound out really, really quickly fast. and concisely because it's over before it begins, and that's just the nature of that form of medium. It but is. This is an antidote to that in many ways, and I think that I think the so. ascendancy and the popularity of podcasting is like a salve to everybody's you know kind of you know burned out. Uh, feelings about watching, you know, canned nonsense on television. I I think we're getting really tired of staying surface level. You know, I think there's so much of it around these days um, that when you have the opportunity to actually have a real, sustained, deeper conversation with people or sit in on that conversation, it's it's something. That I think we're 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 missing that. It's an intimacy that a lot of us, you know, are lacking in our own lives, I think. Yeah. And I'm sure you've had this experience when you meet people who listen to, you know, your show or just, you know, are part of your community. 
they feel very connected to you in mm. a way that is sometimes surprising. You know, yeah. and I think that that's a testament to the power of the medium when you are, uh, you know, willing to, you know, take the time and be honest and be vulnerable and and be open to, you know, what it is because people feel like, oh, they're they're listening in on, you know, like a private dinner party conversation. Like there's an intimacy to it and a specialness yeah. to it that makes people feel included. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and I, I've gotten so many comments saying literally almost exactly that like people saying almost i feel a little bit guilty it's almost like i'm i'm listening in to a private conversation between right. two friends <laughs> yeah like, like they're violating right i'm like no no it's all good we're actually like uh-huh. that's our intention to share it the whole time it's, uh-huh. it's cool man well i've been following you i mean we've known each other for a couple of years but i started following you many years prior to that when i was still you know a practicing lawyer kind of looking for you know the exit door yeah. and, and very unsure about you know, how to do that and, you know, struggling for many years trying to figure it out um, back in, I guess, the first iteration of, of you kind of stepping into this online world was really career renegade. Is that? Yeah. Well, like that's when I first discovered you and started reading your stuff. Yeah, it was. So I, I stepped into the online space probably about a year before that book came out because, but I did it because I had signed the book deal. And I knew I was going to start to make a shift into becoming an author and doing a lot of stuff. So my first question was, well, where's the future of book marketing? And it was just really clear to me that the future was going to be all online. And I had been in business before that and built a reputation, had generated a nice amount of of PR and stuff like that. But it was all traditional. And I had no relationships or no understanding of how the whole online world worked or digital media world. So um, I just started playing and dabbling as a blogger. and and so that was the entree, and it just you know over the years it has grown and morphed and changed to something else. But yeah, originally it was literally just to start to build a platform in anticipation of my first book. Right, and I'm I'm interested in that growth and that trajectory because yeah. it has changed and morphed. I mean, you could have stayed like I'm the self-publishing guy, you know, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of be in this lane and you know develop a certain level of expertise and speak to those people. But you've grown out of that. And it's so to tackle, you know, bigger, you know, subjects, you know, basically personal growth, which is, you know, makes me a little nervous. Yeah, it is. And, (laughs) and, and that's one of the things that I really appreciated in, in, in the new book, in the forward, you know, where you kind of call out right at the beginning, like, who am I to talk about, you know, how to, how to be a better version of yourself. And you had a really great answer to that. You know, I'm, I'm stepping into starting to put together a next book that, traverses similar territory and I butt up against that like I struggle with that like you know like does anybody really need to read another one of these books like what am I going to be able to say that's different or new um but I loved what you what you had to say about that maybe you can kind of articulate yeah and it's definitely you know it's a struggle on a couple of levels one was actually only in the fact that like really at the heart of who I am is a deep exploration of human potential and that while a lot of um you want to wait for the siren or just no, whatever? No, we're in New yeah. York, man. I know. It's, it's part like, of the deal. It's just flavor. It's <laughs> like I'm used to it. but I know. Uh-huh. Um, You know, so for me, it was part of it is getting comfortable with the fact that that's actually the guy that I am deep down underneath, even though I've been writing about business and entrepreneurship and creativity and innovation, that fundamentally deep down, what I really care about is how all of those things change the person within those experiences. And... So to a certain extent, I do have a fascination with those processes, but I also kind of realized that um, it may be a little bit of uh, me wanting to kind of hang my hat on these, you know, supposedly more legit 
um, I'm making like air quotes mm-hmm. with my fingers here, like legit pursuit rather than just like stepping squarely into the space of human potential and personal development because my association with that space has been not not the best one. Um, and so the last book I wrote before this, Uncertainty, was named the number one personal development book by 800 CEO, which is this really, you know, very well-known and established uh, business book thing. And it was an amazing award to receive. And but when I got that award, I was like, "Really, personal development? Like, <laughs> that's not me." And then I and I kind of said that had a conversation with people who knew me, and they're like, "No, actually, that is you. That's entirely you. You just don't want to own it." You were at the time thinking of yourself as more of someone who was speaking to entrepreneurship, and yeah, and creativity and innovation and, like, right. and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And um, but so with this book, you know, for me, part of the process is has been. How do I actually get comfortable with the fact that that is really who I am? And the I need audacity. to. I know. Yeah, and like, yeah. <laughs> I need to redefine sort of, you know, like this space. And, and, then, and then how do I get comfortable with the fact that maybe I have something to say? And, and the truth is, and this is what I wrote in the introduction to the book, it's like, you know, like, fundamentally, when it comes down to the actual theories and strategies, none of us have a whole lot that's new to say. <laughs> I mean, um, the, you know, the, the problem with, us, like the human condition, essentially remaining largely unchanged for you know, like a zillion years, is not so much that we don't know what to do. It's that the what to do is not delivered in a way that that is is lands in. It's not told in a way where it's it's simple, it's easily digestible. It doesn't require people to buy into all sorts of you know like big major disruptive shifts and changes or a lot of dogma. Or a lot of dogma, yeah, you know, and ideology where you like you have to bury yourself in this stuff to be able to say no. I I just want to feel better when I wake mm-hmm. up in the morning and when I go to bed at night. Right. And it doesn't require a costume. Yeah. So my my goal was was really be like you know what I'm a middle aged guy, um, and what what can I write? How can I write this in a way where it's literally somebody who's in the middle of their lives, you know can just immediately say, yeah, this really resonates with me. I don't have to struggle or work to understand it. I don't have to buy into anything. Um, and I can just, and I can sort of digest it in tiny little bite-sized pieces. And the other thing I say in the beginning of the book is don't trust me. Don't trust anybody. You know, like my, my only request, I, I'm not asking you to buy into anything. I'm just saying be open, you know, and most of the chapters in the book after the first one are these tiny little chapters are like five to eight pages. So I'm not asking, I'm not even asking for much more than, you know, like 10 minutes of your time on a day. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, just try it and let your own experience validate or invalidate whether this is legit for you. Yeah. Well, you definitely accomplished that. I mean, I would say, you know, much like yourself, I have a weird kind of like relationship with the whole self-help genre of books, Yeah. which is odd because I've benefited tremendously right. from so, so many of them. But anytime somebody hands me one or I buy one, I'm like, come on, really? <laughs> I like, know. Am I really going to read this? And I, I just, I have to overcome that barrier to yeah. get to a state of open-mindedness. Yeah. You know, and I don't know what I mean, I don't know what that is. I mean, exactly, do you think it's that we were both sort of like longtime New Yorker slash lawyers who have been trained to just, you know, just be skeptical, right? And, exactly. Yeah. It's like this can't. Yeah, we're just looking constantly for what's. But mm-hmm. I, I don't even think that's it because I think um, maybe it is actually. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I don't either, but I because know because I'm not like I am an open-minded guy, and you know, I do all kinds of crazy out there right. stuff. So it's not like I'm closed off to that. Maybe it's the 
you know, like I said before, the audacity of it, or like, who, who does this person think that they are, that they have the answer, and now I'm supposed to listen to them? Like, maybe that yeah. it's a control, I don't know what it is, whatever. But my point being is that, you know, so here I am, I'm sitting that you sent me an early copy of your book, and I so I go through the mental gymnastics of that, but yeah. I'm like, I know Jonathan, he's my friend, I've been reading his stuff forever, I know where he's coming from, and he's got, you know, one of the biggest hearts of anyone that I know, and I crack the book open, and, you know, the thing about your book is I can eat, I could tell, first of all, it's wonderful. Congratulations. Thank like you. you wrote a great book. Thanks, you know, man. It's I appreciate be that. Amazingly successful. Thank I have no you. doubt about that. Um, I could tell immediately that it is a very fine distillation of a lifetime of experiences and study and teaching and advocacy and the million books that you've read and all the different things that you've tried and practiced um, are all kind of like coming together into this document that really is you conveying to you know the reader in very easily digestible terms look here's some simple things that you can do i've divided it up into these three buckets each bucket there's 10 little chapters and i tell little stories and i make it very easy with some practical things that you can like implement very easily without disrupting your whole life or adorning robes or going to some temple or whatever having to go you know get on a plane and go to retreat to make your life, you know, a little bit better and hopefully perhaps a lot better. Is that fair? Yeah, that's, a, that's beautiful, actually. That's, that is exactly So the it's like there's nothing intimidating for. about it. You know right. what I mean? Like you could crack it. It's super easy to read, you know, yeah. and you don't even have to read it from beginning to end. You can pop it open to the part that you're dealing with or struggling yeah, with. Totally cherry pick the chapter. And it's like, oh, yeah, of course I can do this thing, you know, and that will help. I, but the thing is I have to actually do it. Yeah. And so it's that thing that you kind of, you were tiptoeing around earlier, um, that gap that exists between the inspiration or the, the information and the implementation of that. Yep. It is, that that's the big thing, you know, and what I found, so I'm, whenever I take any kind of strengths test or anything like that, love of learning always comes up at the top for me. So I'm, I'm the oddball dork that actually loves to just sit there and learn and learn. I devour knowledge. And I'm also wired in a way where I'm constantly running experiments to test and validate the knowledge. You know, if there's science, then first I'll read. If there's science, I'll go and I'll find the science and I'll deconstruct the studies and try and actually talk to the researchers. And if there's not, I'll, I'll do an N of one and run it in my own life and see, is this legit or not? You're kind of the same way from mm -hmm. what I know. Yeah. Um, and I don't want someone to have, I realize most people aren't like me. <laughs> So I'd rather kind of really distill that and just say, like, here's something to try. Here's a really simple way to actually get into it and get out of it. People and are the, not like you in what way? In that I don't think most people want to go down that rabbit hole. Right. So m most people are just kind of like, just, get, just tell me what I need to know mm -hmm. and tell me what to do. Like really simple, short and sweet. I don't care about the background, the philosophy, the deep research. I mean, I had to, it's funny, I had to literally stop myself so many times when I was writing because I was starting to go really deep down like the, the science rabbit right. hole with this and share like this study says this and then this researcher had like this add-on and I'm like, no, 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 this is fascinating to me um, and there is a lot of research behind it. But yeah, you could it's, have footnoted every sentence. Right. It's overcomplicating. It's just massively over. Mo most people want is, tell me a story so I can understand how this really engages me. Give me a little bit of science, enough for my rational brain to say, oh, I get how this could work and why it really matters. And then just tell me what to do. Um, so I had to keep pulling myself back, mm -hmm. you know, to just really focus on that and make it, make it almost deceptively easy. 
um, to move through, um, knowing that a lot of these, you know, like seemingly really simple little things or actions actually have a lot of science behind them and really move the needle in a lot of parts of life. Yeah. It's an interesting kind of conundrum because when you put a book out like this, there's almost the expectation that you're going to tell the secret that has yet to be told. Right. And sometimes (laughs) it's just... Really, it's that again? You know right, I mean? like, exactly. That, it can't be that easy. Like, how can you right. take me beyond the velvet rope right. you know, into the VIP room to tell me this, the top right. secret? You know right. what I mean? It, it um, is. And the secret is there's no secret, man. <laughs> the secret is just do it. The secret is getting out of your head and taking action. The secret is, is action. Yeah, yeah, it really is. I mean, it's the simplest stuff in the planet. You know, it's like so much of what, you know, like you and your wife are about and your whole crew is like, you know, it's actually not that hard. You know, eat more plants when it comes to like the food side of things. Um, you know, there's, and there's a lot of nuance around it and you've got great ways to, but you know, fund the basic stuff is there for us. We just kind of need really specific instructions to be able to do it. And that's why, um, I mean, so part of what we're looking to create around this is the book is sort of like a guide, but we're also, you know, looking to, and we've already built a substantial community, but there's tremendous research also around the fact that, um, that the only road to success is just sustained action over a longer window of time. And if you don't have people to do the sustained action with your chances of actually doing it over a long period of time plummet pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. So what we're trying to do is actually build community around the book also. uh, And either with, within us, I mean, we've built a beautiful community with good life projects. So it's like join us or, you know, really strongly recommending that people go out and just like find a couple of friends to do this with. Um, And that's not because I want to sell more books to a couple of friends. It's because your likelihood of succeeding at any form of sustained behavior change just it, it goes up exponentially yeah. when you do it with people. Yeah, exponentially. That just the accountability, the yeah. positive and negative accountability of of being in a group setting, which gets to you know one of the buckets, and we're going to explore these buckets in yeah. a minute. But I love the phrase that you use in the book, which is uh, "it's ripples, not waves." Yeah. You know, in other words, you know that can. It's the boring little thing. It's like you know what? I'm not going to check my iPhone for my email the minute I wake up. I'm going to delay that. You know, twenty minutes, half an hour. It's like Nobody's going to write a blog post about that. It's right. not sexy, you know, but it's those things done consistently over very extended periods of time yeah. that change your life. And, you know, when I was struggling with how I was ever going to get out of being a practicing lawyer uh, and reading your stuff, the idea that I would be sitting in your living room doing a podcast, <laughs> it's just like, it's insane. You know, like I just can't even, you know, it, it doesn't make any sense at all. And it only happened because I was doing tiny little things every single so day. Can I, can I ask you something though? Yeah. Cause I'm really curious about, um, I know we've talked about a lot of sort of like how you developed into like the massive super athlete that you are was when you were, cause you also came back from a really dark place were, did you take sort of um, a really kind of like bite-sized incremental approach over a long term to go from where you were, which which was you know, like really struggling physically, emotionally, to being like astonishingly fit and healthy? I think it was a mix of lightning bolt moments and tiny actions taken yeah. consistently. Like I had a couple line in the sand moments where I made decisions about how I wanted to live and didn't want to live anymore and, right. and kind of removed the decision fatigue out of that by saying, stepping over that line and saying, I'm doing this now. Right, right. But the actual change in terms of manifesting it in any kind of tangible material way only occurred through that, you know, daily pressure. So the transformation from, 
you know, absolute disaster alcoholic to productive, sober member of society yeah. was, you know, a 10 year period and right. the transition from schlubby couch potato, 50 pound overweight guy to ultraman athlete. That was a number of years too. And, you know, the, if you read about it on the internet, it makes it look like it all happened overnight. And that's right. just not the no. truth. You know, it was very difficult and it was painful and it required sacrifice and all that kind of stuff that isn't fun to talk about or write about. But, you know, that's how real change happens. But you can't, you know, when we talk about that, that bridging that gap between information and action or inspiration and action, you know, there's, you know, what, what stands in between the success and the failure with that is willingness. And willingness is not something that you can, you know, give somebody. It has, it's yeah. a self-generated thing. It is. There's, there's something deeper that it has to come from. Um, but, you know, it's, it's interesting. So I think, you know, you brought up like these lightning bolt moments, which I think a lot of people, those tend to be the things that kickstart people and launch them into behavior change. But they, they rarely ever sustain people unless there are a series of them. Um, Especially or, without that community and yeah, accountability. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's like this, it's this blend of community accountability. It's a blend of sort of a, a, a series of continued awakenings. Um, and it, it's also what I found, and this was really interesting. I had a chance to sit down with um, Kay Anders Erickson, who is the guy who's done all like the leading research on greatness, on world-class performance that you know, um, Gladwell and so many others quoted and kind of correctly and somewhat incorrectly cool. for the 10,000 hour that I want to tell you. Don't let me forget. Okay. Keep going. Sorry. I don't want to interrupt. <laughs> um, yeah. And I, and I was saying to him, I was like, cause he's like, look, you know, if you want to become really good at anything, it takes years and thousands of hours, you know, it may not be 10,000, maybe 5,000 or 25,000, but, but it's not fun practice. It's grueling, you know, and the nature of the practice and I, and I said to him, I said, you know, th I've had this question for years. I've, I've known about his research for about a decade now since he, I first saw it published. I was like, what keeps somebody doing that for so long if it's not fun? And this was the first time that he actually, I, we had a conversation about the role, the importance of a teacher or a mentor. And he said, you know, a teacher and a mentor isn't just to sort of like tell you what to do and what not to do and, and providing a regular source of accountability. It's that they they can construct sort of like a learning process where it's hard enough so that you really feel like you're challenging yourself, but they kind of know that, you know, you'll, you'll have enough of these tiny little wins along the way. So that, that little moment of like, Oh hell yeah. Like I just, I just nailed that. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's the, it's enough of a feedback mechanism to keep you in it and to keep you like doing a little bit more. So rather than like hitting that place and you're like, I'm just done. I'm just not getting anything. I'm working so hard and I'm not seeing the, the growth that I want to see, a really good teacher or mentor um, will be able to tap in to that psychology in you and adjust sort of like the learning and the practice process so that it's, it's still really hard because it mm -hmm. has to be. But they'll, they'll make sure that it's done in a way where you do continually experience these tiny little wins at service feedback mechanism to keep you in it and to keep it self-motivating um, which goes back to like Teresa Amabile and the whole, the research around like progress actually being the single biggest motivator for sustained action as well. You are listening to this podcast because you care about improving your health and your well-being. But this quest is incomplete if you have yet to add my friend Dr. Rangan Chatterjee's Feel Better, Live More podcast into your listening quiver. 
an RRP favorite, and someone I'm personally quick to call when I'm in need of good advice. From nutrition to mindset, fitness, and relationships, each episode is packed with the tools you need to become the architect of your health. Subscribe to Feel Better, Live More, available wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. There are certain rare people who have a powerful voice and know how to use it. My friend Amanda Decadene is one such human. The podcast is called The Conversation because it is the conversation, a groundbreaking series of raw and honest exchanges on the issues that matter most, mental health, sex, politics, ambition, gender roles, and more. Listen to The Conversation wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. There is so much health information out there. It can feel overwhelming and leave even the most well-intentioned confused about what's what and who to trust. Well, the first person that I call when I'm seeking clarity is my friend and nutrition expert, Simon Hill, host of the fantastic podcast, The Proof. Each week, Simon matches wits with brilliant scientists, translating their evidence-based insights into actionable tools for better well-being. Subscribe to The Proof, available wherever you get your podcasts, and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. That's super interesting. Yeah. Um, I'm just sort of thinking about how that's applied, you know, in my own life and in the lives of other people. Like I, you know, I'm thinking, you know, the Olympics just completed. So I'm thinking about Michael Phelps and like, you know, this guy's been participating in the Olympics for 20 years and he's had his ups and downs and like 2012 was kind of his low moment. He's so great. He could still compete, but you know, how did he bounce back from that? And when you were talking, you know, when you were sharing those ideas, I'm also thinking about, the importance of, of finding the love in it. You yeah. know, it's like he'll tell you that now, you know, his teammates and their success and the community of showing up for practice, you know, with his friends is equally as important um, in keeping him invested in what he's doing than his own personal success. Yeah, it's, it's a huge part of it. Um, you know, and this is something I talk about a bit in the book, but it's also just been a deep um, topic of curiosity for me is, uh, is belonging. Um, the role of belonging in our lives, and uh, which which kind of funny. So the backstory to this book actually is this is not the book that I sold to my publisher. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. What, um, what is the, what was the original book? The original book was a deep dive into belonging because um, it's been this years long fascination for me. Um, because it turns out that that we are we are we're physiologically and psychologically wired to have to belong. If we don't belong, we pretty quickly get unhappy, and that moves into dysfunction on all levels, and eventually we die. And, you know, it's very likely uh, some sort of you know, leftover from survival, because if you're outcast, if you're isolated from the tribe, you're, you're busted. Um, you weren't going to last long, so we have it wired into us that somehow we have to belong. And um, so, but the cha- there are a couple of challenges with that. One is that most of the big institutions that provided this really big sort of like experience of belonging either they're going away or they don't provide it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's leaving us looking for it in places that aren't providing it anymore. And 
and very often looking for it online too, where we get like this sort of like surface level, you know, like diluted taste of it, but it's not totally taking care of that Jones. And, um, but we have to be in community if we're going to be okay. And it's not just about goal achievement, you know, it's about flourishing in life. And I'm deeply fascinated by how we are trying to solve for that need right now and how we're going to solve for it down the road as the world becomes increasingly digital. And addressing that need in business and entrepreneurship is very interesting. And you actually use the case study in your book about CrossFit. Like that's a big reason why CrossFit has become such a, you know, a massive success is because it gives people that sense of belonging and community. It's not just going to the gym and anonymously, you know, running alongside somebody on a treadmill. Yeah. Um, And and as I kind of don't pull punches and (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> with the so I had you know my my first step out you of are, the law. You, you come from this, right? right yeah. Was you know I, sp- I spent a dozen years in the fitness industry, so you know my I went from you know doing really nicely as a lawyer to making twelve bucks an hour as a personal trainer, learning the industry, opening my own facility, growing it, selling it, opening another facility, and growing that. And um, so you know like, and what I saw was just massive dysfunction, um, and. But one of those big sources of dysfunction is that, you know, most of the culture in a large club these days is, you know, you walk in, most people don't know your name, you key swipe in, there's never any human contact except for a brief glance up to validate that your membership is active and you don't have to like get sent to somebody to handle things. And then you're kind of on your way. And then, you know, what's the first thing you do? You change into your clothes, you put on headphones. Right and a because it's music and you just want to get jazz, but but more importantly for most people these days because the rows and that rows way you don't and have rows, to talk to anybody. right, right, yeah. it keeps you isolated, and then all these rows of repetitive motion machines, which most people experience as, as just horribly um, monotonous and boring, to distract yourself from it, you plug into entertainment systems, you know, so you're distracting yourself and you're also even more now isolating yourself from even the possibility of community. Um, and so then along comes, you know, like a place like CrossFit or SoulCycle or there are a whole bunch of other... Or even like Spartan races. Yeah, exactly. You know. Spartan, Tough Mudder, all these things. Like one of the things that's happening on the surface is people are reconnecting with nature and re- they're reconnecting with intense activity. But really deeper under the surface, what's really... They're, these are places of intense community and belonging. Like they finally have a place where they look... I mean, people will join CrossFit and pay, you know, like four times more... Um, then they would pay at the local gym and they would join the local gym. They would go for two weeks and keep paying for six months and never go back. They'll join CrossFit, pay you know, like a ton more and they'll go and literally, you know, every single day they'll be there. And if they don't go, everybody else is going right. to call them up they, and say, the where are you? The problem is they go too much and right. they get hurt. <laughs> if anything, that, you know, the problem is uh-huh. you know, like trying to sort of like temper that. Um, but it's in part because the modality is, you know, it's different, it's novel, it's constantly changing. But the bigger thing is that you, people find their people. Like you actually, people quit, people quit um, products and services and solutions and experiences. They don't quit communities unless something goes wrong in the culture of the community that breaks with the fiber of who they are and what their values are and their belonging is. So how did your book morph out of this kind of singular yeah. idea? Because that's a very, you know, it's very specific. It is. You know, it's sort of like, you know, Ryan Holiday writes Ego, you know, Ego is the Enemy. It's a very, it's a one specific thing. Right. And you've kind of expanded into this to make it a much more comprehensive yeah. you know, look at satis- life satisfaction. I did. So a couple things happened. One was um, I, I realized I actually wanted to talk about something bigger and, 
and I and I realized that there were a whole bunch of other things that that kind of probably needed to work together. But the other was there. There's actually a, a really substantial body of research around this idea around both belonging and isolation and exclusion and kicked off by Baumeister in 95. So there's a 20-year body of research, of academic research, which is good news, bad news. Good news is you can look at a lot of data. The bad news is it's still kind of all over the place. There's a lot of disharmony within the science. So the deeper I went down that rabbit hole, I'm thinking to myself, well, I, I have, I'm the geek who loves learning. This is really fascinating to me. But in terms of creating something that might be helpful, it's also likely going to be unsatisfying because I don't think we have enough to sort of create a really in-depth, comprehensive exposition on belonging quite yet. My sense is we, we need another 10 years. Um, so I actually went back to my publisher and I kind of said, here's what's going on. And um, I'm, I'm essentially going to have to agree with one side or another also on the research. And I have, I'm, you know, as much of a geek as I am, I'm not the researcher. So I don't have the valid basis to parse, you know, like... And, uh, and I'll hang myself out to dry. And I'm not particularly looking to do that. And I just don't think it's going to be a satisfying read. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it would have been much more of an academic exercise. Yeah, yeah, which for me is fun. But for your average per- person, right. not so fun. So um, I, I'll very likely just keep exploring that. But I kind of pulled back and I said, you know, I said, I don't think it's going to be, this is the right book to write at this time, but there's another book that as I'm researching this is starting to become clear as a book that I can and, and maybe should write right now. And and I, I pitched up How to Live a Good Life to them. And they're like, oh my God, yeah, this is this is awesome. This is just what we, what right. we want. It's funny because I would have thought, well, you know, you're, it's the Good Life Project. You know, of course right. your book is going right. to be called. So, like they're, so they're, <laughs> no. they're like saying to me, they're like, why, why didn't you sell us this initially? book? Yeah. <laughs> they literally uh-huh. asked me that question. And I'm like, and my answer to them was, so there was about a year be, between when we sold the first book and I, I came back to them and I'm like, I just don't think this is, this is the book that needs to be written. And during that year, um, I had been starting to come, like a lot of the ideas, sort of like the bigger framework, really started to come together in my head. And I started testing it with the different people in our different programs. And people were lighting up saying, this works. This like, I hear it once, I remember it, it makes sense, and I'm applying it because it's super straightforward. And it's really making a difference. So, so because my publisher asked the exact same question, they're like, "This is the perfect book for you and your brand." And right? Your, like, what's wrong with you? Right? Oh, and, yeah. and like, why didn't you just give us this one? Uh-huh. I'm like, because because it probably a year before it wasn't ready. It wasn't fully. Finished. Yeah, yeah. Right. But but at that point, I was like, you know what? Now the the time was just it was ready. Well, let's break it down. I mean, you know, it's pretty simple how you've kind of allocated. Um, you know, the different uh, aspects of, of, you know, how to live a good life in the book and doing it in this, you know, kind of three bucket yeah. methodology, which is really kind of cool and brilliant. I would, I'm assuming, and I'm, I'm trying to remember from the book, but I think this is something that you, you, you use with yeah. the people that you work with in your community. Yeah, right? absolutely. Kind of developed out of that. Yeah. And the idea was really, how do I take all this stuff that I've been geeking out on 50 years of my own experiments and now like years and years and years of sitting down with embodied teachers and actually learning from people who a lot of people don't have the opportunity to sit down with. And, and maybe even before, sorry to interrupt you, but yeah. like even before we get into the buckets, like what is that is, I mean, can you articulate what the, you know, basic strain or tradition of philosophy or, you know, spiritual history or science, is there any one kind of tradition that 
predominantly informs yeah. us or is it really a synthesis of all these things it's really it is a strong synthesis of them because my my brain is wired i'm probably skeptically or open <laughs> so i'm open to phenomenon that i can't explain i'm open to spiritual phenomenon um and at the same time the first place i'm going to go after I, I experience a phenomenon or hear about it is science to see if i can actually find research that validates or invalidates or explains what's really happening under the surface so for me it's this really interesting blend of you know okay so i hear about this thing happens to people when they're so i taught yoga for seven years right i owned a large yoga center in new york and there were all these claims about what happens to people when you're doing full immersions, these postures where you take your body and put them upside down. And, you know, there are claims everything from it cures everything that could ever go wrong to it makes you, you know, it gives you, um, you can never die and, you know, it makes you psychic. And I'm like, okay, so some of them are clearly out there, but some of these, I'm really curious, is there a valid basis? So I started to actually research what happens physiologically in your body when you turn your body upside down, you stay there for a little bit of time and it turns out there are these things in your body called baroreceptors. And when you're invert, in, the, in a very short amount of time, your blood pressure goes up, but then immediately it triggers these receptors to reverse that, and it actually drops your blood pressure in your body so that when you come back down, that actually sustains for a window of time. So if you're doing this regularly, there's an interesting argument that actually says that this actually may help to chronically lower blood pressure, which is one of the claims related to inversions would actually be a lot of the symptomological benefits of lower blood pressure. So I'm always sort of like, I'll start with something which is this, you know, comes out of classic Eastern philosophy and spiritual or even mysticism, and then I try and reverse engineer data or science around it. And um, It's kind of like, uh, like Dan Harris did that with 10% yeah, happier. exactly, exactly, um, especially because... You know, part of it for me is a, just a deep fascination, but part of it is also there's a teacher in me. And I also know that for 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 me to have an idea that's shared that um, people will then, again, I care less about teaching theory. I care more about people acting on whatever it is and you're know, actually doing the work. So for somebody to actually take action, somebody who's completely open and spiritual will be like, okay, cool. I just... I'll buy into the spiritual side. Whereas somebody who's more rational brain is going to be like, that's, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. So I, I need to be able to actually translate it into that language too so I can have a broader spectrum of humanity, be able to say, okay, I, I get how that actually might make a difference and I'm willing to try. Um, so that's part of what's going on there. That said, going back to your original question, um, I am very drawn to Eastern philosophy, um, to various paths of Buddhism, and, um, and, 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 and positive psychology, which is the branch of psychology that sort of grew out of Martin Seligman's work when he decided that actually there was value in exploring how to work with people to take them from baseline to flourishing, not just from sick to baseline. Mm -hmm. The buckets. Yeah. <laughs> Let's break it down. Yeah. So th three buckets. When you look at life fundamentally, I, I look at it as, as having three buckets. Um, one is contribution. One is connection. One is vitality. So, so, how, so how did you arrive at these three? Like, how did you decide three and not four? Yeah. And I kept bouncing around. And, what are, and so at various points, there were probably between four and eight of these. But what I start to realize is, is a lot of them were really just the same thing using different names. So, for example, at one point I was like, well, let's make it four buckets and there'll be a bucket for state of mind and state of body. But then like the, 
it's so crystal clear that there is no separate state of mind or state of body. They're utterly integrated feedback mechanism. And you can't talk about one without talking about the other. Yeah, I was really glad that you put those into one yeah. grouping, you know, because we we're, naturally we always separate those right. things, and we just we got to stop doing. Yeah, that. because it's it's a it's a fiction. It's a complete and utter fiction to talk about them separately. Um, you know, it, it's so interesting, right? I remember when we were hanging out. So we were talking with you and Julie when your um, when your book came out. I can't remember whether this actually aired on the conversation or whether we were just talking about this after the fact, but. Julie and I both had something. Um, so we had this, this cyst. Thyroglossal duct cyst. Right, in our throats. And it was so interesting to me. because So I went to like the top guy in New York, and he's like, there's only one thing to do. you got to have surgery and cut it out. So that's what I did. She went you know, completely alternative. The Ayurvedic route. Yeah. Right. And they're like, no, no, no. no. Like, you, you, can, you can take care of this. <laughs> uh-huh. And she, so we both end up in like similar end states without this thing in our bodies anymore, but in like profoundly different ways. Um, and why was I even bringing that up? <laughs> uh, t- mind, body, you know, the, oh, yeah. the, the, mer- the right. It's just, it's the fact space. that, you know, like, yeah, you can't separate like the way that you explore and the way you think about and the way that your, your mindset, you know, profoundly affects the state of your physiology right. and vice versa, you know? So the idea of, of separating those out, it just, the more I really thought about it, it felt completely foreign to me. So you like, when we talk about the vitality bucket, you know, that's, it's fundamentally you're focusing on optimizing your state of mind and body. You know, so there'll be, you know, one, one day would focus on a mindset practice, you know, but if you develop, a, you know, if you sit and you have a really gentle mindset practice one day, it's not just going to be good for your state of mind. It's going to change all sorts of physiological markers and inflammation markers and stress markers and disease risk markers and potentially pain, the, the experience of pain in your body. Mm-hmm. You know, so it didn't make sense to me to separate that stuff out. So, so vitality is one, right? State optimizing the state of your mind and your body. Um, connection is the other one, which is fundamentally it's about the relationships between you and yourself. And most of us are pretty dissociated with ourselves. Um, so, really understanding who you are, you and anyone who's important in your life. You know, like partner, spouse, colleague, kids, family, close friends. Um, you and a sense of source or something bigger than you that you belong to, however you may want to define that. And to me, also nature, the natural world. So these are things that are really important. And what about these extended communities that yeah. are so much a part of everything Huge. you do? Yeah, the bigger community also. And a community can be as small as a handful of people, or it can be as large as you know, like a global group of people who are doing something really substantial. Um, and... So th- these are all really, really important. And then the third one is what I call contribution. And that's fundamentally about how you're bringing your gifts to the world. You know, are you investing your energy, the vast majority of your energy every day in a way that makes you feel lit up, that's leveraging like the fundamental values and strengths and beliefs that, that you know, like uh, let you feel fully expressed? Um, because if you're not, and, and most people aren't, you know, like, that bucket runs dry really quickly. If you're not taking care of your body and your mindset, the vitality bucket runs dry really quickly. And same the connection. If you've been in your relationships, that runs dry. And, and so what we know, so, so the idea is really simple. Life is three, these three buckets, vitality, connection, contribution. A good life is filling those buckets, is keeping them as full as possible. And understanding that they leak. Yeah. And you don't that's, just fill them and move on. Right. It's, you can't just top them off and be like, I'm good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's the, the truth is they all leak. 
So you have to constantly be filling every bucket a little bit every day, which some people might be a little bummed about, but the truth is it's an amazing gift to be able to just keep doing things that are enjoyable and fulfilling and enriching to fill them. Um, one of the interesting things, so there, there are three rules of the buckets. One, you know, is that they all leak. Two is that the height of any bucket is always capped by the least full one, which is counterintuitive to a lot of people. It's sort of the idea that you're only as strong as your weakest link. Yeah. Basically. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah, pretty much. Um, and then the third one is that the buckets don't lie. Um, because we love to delude ourselves into believing that, no, 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 this relationship will be fine if I ignore it for five years, <laughs> right? It's like, it's all good. I'm, I'm locked in there, right? It's, uh-huh. it's a family, you know, like they can't, like it'll be fine or my health will be fine. Three more years at this job, right? And even though I'm working 113.9 hours a day and I hate it, it'll be okay. You know, like three years, it'll be totally fine, not realizing that actually, no, actually, it's utterly delusional. It won't be okay. You know, and the truth is the buckets never lie. You know, we can delude ourselves, but at some point, they're going to tell us the truth and grind us to a halt and force us to either start filling them or die. It's that simple. There's no middle. <laughs> the The basic premise behind all of this really is is balance, right? Balancing, you know, all of these systems, you know, attending to these buckets. And if you can kind of make sure that you are, you have enough self-awareness and objectivity about your own life to understand when one of these buckets is starting to leak or drip and needs attention, that you can reach some kind of, you know, functional stasis that's going to allow you to then be more expressive and more actualized and more, you know, I hate the word happiness, but, you know, productive and um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Satisfied, you know, in in your daily existence. Fulfilled, exactly. Yeah, and it's funny. I use the word balance. There's Oddly, I have this weird reaction to the word balance, maybe because Mm -hmm. most people use it in the context of work-life balance. Because I want to talk about this. Yeah, and and I actually don't buy that whole thing. Um, But as soon as you said balance, the thing that popped into my head was like, for me, the, the word isn't balance. It's like fullness. Um, you know, like, I feel like I'm full as I move through the day. Like, you know, like when I think about my relationships, yeah, like I feel full. I feel they're good. I feel that there's, there's a richness to them. When I think about the way I contribute to the world, like I'm, I'm full, like the way I contribute Mm. to the world fills me up. Um, and the way I take care of my body and my health and my mind fills me, it leaves me feeling full. I like that. I like that a lot better. You know, balance is, balance is tricky. It's something I've been thinking a lot about lately. What are you thinking? Like, what's going well, on in your head? I mean, the thing is, I'm fundamentally somebody who's prone to be out of balance. You know, I'm, I'm in recovery for addiction issues. Right. You know, it's like, I like to go to extremes. And it's very easy for me to believe, and I don't know if this is real or, or fabricated, but, you know, a lot of the things that I've achieved in my life are the result of being, quote unquote, out of balance. Right. Like, you're not, are you in balance if you're training your body 25, 30 hours a week for a race? You know, are you in balance if you kind of go into that hole to write a book or, you know, do these certain things? And it's like, for me, I sort of feel like maybe this is my the thing that I need to overcome to be more um, more full, which is to understand that I don't have to suffer to write a book, you know, like, wait a minute, if you you figure that out, I need to know that one. But I was like, no, I got to like isolate myself and just go deep. And and, and there there is a kernel of truth in that. Like, 
you know how it is like if you're starting to hit a groove and you get interrupted because yeah, totally. a family obligation comes up, it takes you like two hours to get back into right. it. So I need like a very extended period of quiet time where you know I can't have anything intruding on that. And that's how I kind of move the ball forward. Over an extended period of time, that's perhaps not a very balanced way to live. But that's how I, cert- I, I have achieved certain goals in my life. So I have kind of a, a countervailing opinion about balance. Like in the macro sense, my life is in balance. Like I can't, I can't get so out of balance that my marriage or my relationship with my children, all these things start right. to you know, disintegrate or become imperiled. But I think it's okay to allow yourself to go out of balance for a certain period of time as long as you kind of know what you're doing and understand when you have to snap back. Yeah, and, and I pretty much agree with that, you know, which is why to me the notion – it's like you said, you don't love the word happiness. I don't either. Um, and, and, and the research pretty clearly shows these days that if you sort of make, you know, like attaining happiness a goal, you end up pretty miserable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think balance is the same thing, you know, because what you're assuming is that your life is fundamentally a pendulum that's not swinging. It's just static in the middle. Like it's just the goal is to make the pendulum static. It's a complete, an utter yeah, fabrication. Nobody can live that way. Right. So and like, then you feel bad about yourself. Right. So you start beating yourself yeah. up because it's this unattainable goal rather than saying, look, you're like, what, what, what I do believe is possible and can, and can leave you feeling really full is I'm going to be intentional about the decisions that I make, about the actions that I take, and make agreements about why I'm doing them, how I'm doing them, and how it affects me and the people around me. And sometimes you get agreements back about how long we're all willing to, to like do this together, you know, and have people sort of like pull me and have circuit breakers and triggers when I'm, I'm breaking those agreements, mm-hmm. you know, so I can understand and I can, I, can be, I can constantly be like reconnect with being intentional, you know, so that I can, I, I'm not just falling into an autopilot behavior. Right. But the idea of, you know, like life is a pendulum that just stays static in the middle is just... It's such a complete fiction that to try and make that an aspiration, I can't imagine it being anything other than like brutal futility. <laughs> yeah. Rather than just owning the fact that life is dynamic and understand if you're investing yourself fiercely in something, why does it matter to you? What's it going to take? You know, like if things go south, how will you respond to that? And what are the agreements that you have in place around it? And then keep checking in and be intentional about the way you're making decisions around that. When somebody says, you know, everything in moderation, does that bring up the same sensibility in you? Or is yeah, that prob- different? probably. It's kind of a similar thing. Probably. Right? That said, there's, um, I think it was the last book, um, I was interviewing Randy Commissar. And, uh, and he had this, it was really funny because I, I remember this because I interviewed him. It was, it was a telephone interview. And um, I was interviewing him. I was staying like in a suite in in a casino in Vegas. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm interviewing a guy about sort of like, you know, like his Buddhist practice in uh, Silicon Valley. <laughs> and and he, he said something to me, and it was something like, um, equanimity um, is a powerful muscle to flex when you step out into the ambiguous void. And I think for me... Hold on, I'm trying to like... Wait, say that again. <laughs> equanimity is a powerful muscle to flex when you step into the ambiguous void. I gotcha, okay. Um, you know, it's about balance and equanimity are different. And I think we confuse the two is what, what I'm trying to, to say here. That, How are they different? That Because I think balance assumes a, a level of just like staticness. Um, whereas equanimity assumes, a level, assumes openness and adaptability. 
to change. Equanimity assumes a state of constant movement and change and the ability to adapt and respond to that dynamically, whereas balance assumes um, that everything will be will come to a point of stillness. Um, and then you try, like your job is to lock that down. Or stasis, not yeah, necessarily. Yeah. Stillness is... No, stillness is good, actually. Is good, stasis, right? yeah. yeah. No, much better word, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so I, like, my aspiration, if anything, is much more towards, like, the ability to be in a rapidly changing environment and still be able to touch stone. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine that's a reflection of your meditation practice. Yeah, it's a huge part yeah. of it for sure. I mean, that's the that's the superpower of like a well honed. Yeah. You know, do you still do you practice there. still? I do. Yeah, yeah. I do. Yeah, and I and I love it. Um, and you know, it gets interrupted, and you know, I have to get back to it. And it's kind of like you were talking before about um, we were talking about CrossFit, and we were talking about you know the gym and how you pay and then you don't go and the power of community to reinforce, you know, sort of the level of engagement of whatever the activity is. And I think behind that momentum is a very important kind of uh, invisible force that takes place that we all experience. And we know what it's like to, whether it's going to yoga or going running or going to the gym or going to CrossFit, when you're in your routine and there's a self-perpetuating kind of energy that makes it easy to go the next day and the next day and the next day. But once you you know, leave for Thanksgiving vacation to visit the relatives and you come back and then you just can't get right, yourself like back to that place. Zero. And it's like, there's no logic behind that. You know what I mean? And yet it's very, very powerful. I know. You're like, shouldn't I be better than this? Yeah, man? I know. <laughs> it's like, I've been working for years. Yes. Uh, I've written a self-help book. <laughs> right. It's know? like, come on, man. Uh-huh. When do I get a pass here? Yeah. What is that about? I, I don't know. We're so much like, as as advanced as developed as we get, we're fundamentally just like Pavlov's mm-hmm. dogs when it comes down to it. In the end, humans are insane. Yeah. <laughs> so, in, in speaking about like all these people that you've affected and impacted through, you know, your your tribe and your community that you've built, the Good Life Project and the camps and all of that. And I want to talk about the camps in a minute. Um, what do you think is like the number one thing? that holds people back or, you know, what is the strain or the thing that you identify in people that is perhaps the biggest limiter? Yeah. You actually used the word earlier, awareness. Uh, I don't think we're actually aware of how we move throughout the world. I don't think we're aware of on a, on a deeper level. I don't think we're aware of who we are, what matters to us, um, what we believe uh, is important to us and what we value. Uh, on a on like the next level, my sense is that we don't we're, we move through each day very unaware of how we're actually making decisions. And in fact, most of us aren't making decisions. We're we, we're maniacally busy from the time we open our eyes in the morning to the time our pillow hits the bed at night, and which is not actually in and of itself a bad thing. If your if your day is filled with things that move the needle that really matter to you that are an outgrowth of you know, like who you are and your need to express yourself and and step into your potential um that's not a bad thing the challenge is that we're we're reactively busy mm-hmm. rather than being intentional about the way that we're filling our days we're being massively reactive and sort of like there's an autopilot sense to existence these days where the vast majority of the way that we move through our days isn't being aware and intentional and then choosing and acting. It's being unaware and then just letting the, the like blended agendas of multiple people kind of drop into our laps and all of their agendas and all the stuff that they want done that's important to them 
um, becomes all the things that fill our days and our to-do lists. And then we blink and the day is gone. And we mm-hmm. blink and the week is gone. And we blink and the year is gone. And we blink again and life is gone. I'm super proud to announce my next venture, Voicing Change Media. This beautiful consortium of thinkers, storytellers, artists, and visionaries all committed to fostering meaningful exchanges and sharing thought-provoking content. Voicing Change Media will feature shows like The Proof with Simon Hill, Soul Boom with Rain Wilson, Mentor Buffet with Alexi Pappas, Feel Better Live More with Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, and The Conversation with Amanda Decadene. You can explore this network and all its offerings at voicingchange.media. And yet we think we're being productive. Yeah. And then we're confused that we're unhappy. I mean, you have this great, I don't know, three or four page section very early in the book where you're like, (laughs) tell me if you relate to this, is this your life? And you kind of go through from waking up in the morning to going to sleep at night. And it's just just an onslaught, like a series of just reactive behaviors. You know, oh, I check my email and then I check in and then I go to Twitter and then I go to Facebook and then I go to Snapchat and then I answer the phone and then I call that guy back and I cross this thing off my to-do list and I commute and I come home, whatever. And you, your head hits the pillow at night and you're like, I did all this stuff. And then it's like, wait, you actually, what did you really do? Oh, I don't even know. Yeah. Because every action was a reaction to something yeah. that you didn't choose to engage in. So there's no, there's a complete lack of intentionality about how you're living your day. Yeah. And boundaries. Yeah. I mean, and, and it all comes from like the fu- a fundamental um, lack of awareness. You know, so I think awareness, you know, mindfulness, you can probably like pretty close words. Um, you know, mindfulness has become a huge buzzword these days. And and I think there's a reason for it, you know, beyond the fact that, you know, it's a performance enhancer and all these other things where people are associating particular outcomes. Spiticular? I just made up a word. <laughs> I like that word, actually. That. Yeah, like let's use that. Right. Spiticular outcomes. Um, and... Uh, you know, but fundamentally, it's it's just about being able to actually um, pause it at a given moment, zoom the lens out, and notice what you're doing, and be able to ask yourself, "Why am I actually doing this? Mm-hmm. Like, does does is the way that I'm is what I'm thinking about now? Is is the story that I'm telling in my head? Um, are the actions that I'm taking in this moment like are they are they legit?" Are they, do they matter to me? Are they in some way allowing me to live well in the world and contribute to society? Um, so you can't correct course and you can't be intentional until you're aware of the fact that you're not on the course that's deliberate. But I feel, I feel like there's a relative level of awareness. Like this is a, the great plague of our era, right? Yeah. Beyond like physical disease, like this is something that we're all dealing with. Any professional person is yeah. combating this reactive tendency to be just, you know, wed to our phones and all this sort of thing. And I think we all know like, this is crazy. Why are we doing this? And yeah. yet there's a certain powerlessness to, to shift that or course correct. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I had an amazing chance to sit down with Sherry Turkle, who's an MIT researcher who's been studying like how human be- behavior reacts to technology technology and you know her her whole thing she's like look i'm not a luddite and and neither am i neither are you we're hanging out using technology to make this happen right now you know we all have smart devices 
Um, and they're not going anywhere. You know, our apps and our devices are here to stay. This is the thing. So it becomes more incumbent upon us to develop a more responsible relationship to them. Yeah. And, and I think that the, the superstructure for that, like the foundation for that is the oldest stuff in the world. It's like meditation. It's these really mm -hmm. basic awareness practices that allow us to be like, oh, wait a minute. I've just checked my phone and... You know, like for the 396th time in the bathroom while I'm like, you know, like at a restaurant with people. And there's really no reason for me to be doing this right now, is there? Other than the fact that I'm literally just addicted to the dopamine hit it's going to give me by seeing if there's something new, like that I can heart or respond to or something like that. Um, and you, I mean, there's so many like places we can go with that you know there's a lack of empathy and there's the disconnection um but fundamentally like that you know that the focus is the impact on your inability to be intentional and actually choose your thoughts and your actions in a way that that constructively builds a life that you really want to inhabit um that is not possible unless you start to cultivate a, a genuine sense of awareness. And so what is the first step to cultivating that awareness? Yeah, and, I mean, in my mind, I love practices. My practice is a mindfulness practice first thing in the morning. And it doesn't have to be, you know, so my pra I wake up, I roll out of bed first thing in the morning, and I sit for 25 to 30 minutes every day. And, and that's my anchor. That's the thing that allows me to move throughout the day and hopefully make more choices rather than just receive whatever comes and respond from the time I open my eyes. And what um, is that ma mindfulness practice specifically? Yeah, so for me, it's a really simple breath-oriented practice. So I literally sit and, um, and I use a little timer on my phone, which is actually a really interesting moment for me first thing in the morning because I use an app that's a meditation timer and it chimes every three minutes just mm -hmm. to kind of give me a sense of... <laughs> You're you in know. the world. Right, exactly. And um, and at the same time, right next to, you know, like where I touch to open the meditation timer app is my email icon. So, and it's funny because, you know, I've often thought, well, just put your email on the back page, you know, so you're not tempted by that first thing in the morning. And, and I haven't done it because in an odd way, I actually feel like that's part of my practice is to see those two side by side and start my day by intentionally not choosing the email app by like the first, like the first literally like tiny little bit of, of willpower that I'll exercise is literally choosing a mindfulness practice over checking my email. And the juxtaposition of those two things literally millimeters apart from yeah, each yeah. other. Right. Mentally and in the physical space. Yeah. Um, so that alone allows me to start my day having an intentional practice and also doing the seated meditation practice where it's a really simple breath-oriented practice. I literally just, I start out with about five minutes of some yogic breathing and then I just, I'm sort of looking or observing the sensation of my breath as it's moving in and out of mm -hmm. my chest. Um, and it's really much easier actually for people to start this for a much shorter window of time and also guided with audio. Um, it's one of the reasons some of the things that you we're creating around the book are these like guided right, You audio. have some of these guided programs, yeah. right? That are like, you're listed like hyper, like hyperlinked in the book. Yeah, like exactly. Book so there's, whatever. there's just one page where, you know, we're creating all these awesome resources and we'll be adding to that too. Cause I know, especially when I was starting, it's just much easier if you have somebody's voice in your ears and it's three minutes or five minutes minutes instead of you know, like doing it yourself for 25 minutes that's taken me years to build up to um 
but really like a tiny little thing makes a really big difference, you know? So having a really basic morning practice like that, where you have an intentional act, you're starting to cultivate a little bit of stillness. It just starts to move into your day. And that's the beginning for me. Um, and then you can build with all sorts of fun other stuff from yeah, there. Yeah, I like it. Um, I think that that uh, morning routines are having kind of a zeitgeist moment, yeah, which yeah. is great because it really is all about mindfulness and, and being intentional about how you're going to start your day. Um, but I also think it, it has the tendency to create like a lot of vertigo in people because much like researching nutrition on the internet, you're going to find like, <laughs> well, first you do this and then you have to write your yeah. gratitude list and then you're writing your, and then you have to journal and then yep. you're doing the artist way and you go on your artist date and like all this stuff. And it's like, this is a four hour thing, you yeah. know, like forget it. And they just throw the baby out with the bathwater. And I think know. it's about like, just choose one thing yeah. and start with that. It's about keeping it really simple. And some people love big complex routines. Um, I mean, most of, I write generally for, you know, like we're in the middle of our lives and, um, for people who are grown-ups and who have big, complex lives and a lot of stuff to do, we, we've actually created um, and, are, and are printing ourselves uh, a companion practice journal um, to sort of take the, you know, the, the, the kick start that you get from the book and actually turn it into a deliberate practice over a period of months. And the idea is that there's a really simple seven-minute practice in the morning and a really simple five-minute practice in the evening. So you don't have to think about it. Mm -hmm. um, we actually repeat prompts. Like, they're really simple exercises. Most of them just repeat, and they're super simple. And there are a couple of prompts that kind of rotate through a 28-day cycle. But um, So for some people, that's great. you know. And for other people, you kind of have to just find your way into whatever the morning practice is that feels good to you. Mm -hmm. What is some bad advice that you hear getting thrown about uh in the in the kind of you know world in which you yeah you now operate man um i so hesitate to answer that because um it condemns anybody whose <laughs> mouth it came out at the same time and that's sort of not my bent um general maybe bad is the wrong word yeah you know, maybe uh confusing or less helpful or uh, so here, yeah, yeah. So here's here's one thing that um, that I've heard a lot of, which is that, um, you know, if things, if you're if if you if you make a choice to walk a path, so that you can step into and create um, life that you really love to inhabit, um, that anybody who and that requires some change, and requires you to experiment and sort of like and to grow that anybody who's not along for that journey with you, you need to just jettison out of your life. Just, you know, like, they're no longer your friends. Like, sorry, mom, sorry, dad, sorry, uncle, sorry, like, partner in life and in business, sorry, kids, sorry, best friends. You know, like, if you don't buy into this journey that I'm going down, that's on you. Don't hold me back. And, you know... So let's 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 sort of talk reality here. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty narcissistic thing, first of all. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So so there's that. Yeah. <laughs> right. But then beyond it, just like from a practical standpoint, if you're telling people that, you know, then you're setting them up to eviscerate a potential support system to, you know, like, completely like short circuit the potential to actually have a series of intelligent, articulate conversations with people that may end up having them become like real supporters and maybe even go on the journey with you. And there are for sure probably some people who are just, you know, completely probably shouldn't be around as you continue to grow and they have no interest in growing or really they actually want to take you down. 
there for sure there are probably some people where not a bad idea to just sort of grow out of those relationships but there are other people where you know like they're my close family you know your close family the, your closest friends since you were six you know so what if they see the world differently um there are people in your life where a, they may not buy into it because they really care about you and they think you're going through some stuff that may be massively destructive or they may be threatened. Um, it makes sense to have a conversation with those people and to really create a dialogue so you can understand what's going on and if there's any way to actually you know, like have a conversation that sort of like allows for their forbearance and then eventually support and then eventually potentially joining along with you. Why would you not have that conversation? Well, it requires a level of emotional maturity, yeah. first of all, and I think it speaks to um, self-sovereignty. Like, if you have a good sense of your your path and your direction, and you have surrounded yourself with some form of community that supports you in that, yeah, and, and perhaps you have other people in your life that don't see the world that way, if you have a good sense of boundaries and self-sovereignty, you can coexist with those people without it, you know, detracting you from your past. So it's about how much control and power are you giving to somebody else? Like yeah. if, if they don't have that emotional or electrical charge with you, you can be in the same room and have a conversation with them. But if you don't, if you don't, it's more about the work that you need to do to be able to, 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 to do that. Yeah. Right. I mean, it, if you think about your, um, think about your life almost like, an, and you know, so sometimes I default to entrepreneurship because it's a world I know so well. And it's also, to me, it's just a stunning canvas for the development of the human being, right? So if you think about building a company, starting a company from nothing, and, and one of the questions you have to ask yourself is, who's the team? Who's, who's my team who's going to build this with me? I, the thought of building a team where everybody just like has the identical worldview and the identical opinions for me, that is a disaster in waiting and jettisoning everyone who doesn't see the world exactly the same way and doesn't agree with me. I want a diversity of opinions. I want a diversity of world. I want people who are open to the vision, who like understand what we're all working to create together. But I, I want difference. You know, like the, we all benefit from difference in our lives. And if that means having intense, fierce, deep conversations that maybe move us off of plans because we shouldn't have been doing those things to start with and there's a better, more intelligent way to grow and to get there, I want people who are going to actually be in my life who, where I can have those conversations rather than just saying, oh, no, you need to go. I mean, it's, it's lunacy. From, in the world of business and entrepreneurship, it's a disaster and waiting. So it's, it's no different when you're trying to construct something awesome with the way that you live. I think there's a nice allegory uh, for that happening in, you know, culture right now and particularly politics as we sort of head into this election and mm. we see ourselves quite divided and, and kind of decamping to our, you know, to our, our people that see the world the way that we see it. And that's disconcerting to me that we're in this place where we can't, we can't have that kind of conversation. Yeah. It is. It's uh, yeah. It's a weird time in the United States. Um, I'm sure you have a lot of international listeners too, and I sometimes wonder what they think of what what's <laughs> yeah. going on here. Also, but I mean, fundamentally, there's there's um, work of Robert Cialdini, who's sort of legendary in the world of influence and understanding how how people make decisions. And uh, 30 years ago, he came out with this book, and one, he talked about something called um, the uh, the consistency principle. And fundamentally what he said is that we are wired to feel a compulsion to to say and act in a way 
that is consistent with anything we've said or done before. So, and that's one of the reasons why we, when we get into a supercharged or political environment like this, if somebody makes a statement that's completely outrageous, or they're just, they're just like sticking, you know, like a stake in the, the ground early on, um, they're wired from that moment on to want to continue to, to say things that support that and take actions that will support that an, a, original thing. And the more you do that, the more deeply ingrained this pattern becomes. So even if at some point, you know, it becomes really crystal crystal clear that this, you know, like the facts just aren't supporting a particular scenario, we're literally, we'll, we will, we'll, it's not even that we ignore it, our brains won't see that at well, all. it's a threat to your very identity yeah, when exactly. you start to become one and the same with that with that notion. You know, that's something that I you know I, I think about that kind of stuff a lot because I'm like the you know the vegan athlete yeah, yeah, guy. Right. It's like, well, you know, what if I woke up one day and just really felt terrible and felt like I needed to eat differently? What would that mean? Would that be a threat to you know how the world sees me, how I see myself, and and uh, you know it's it, it's it's important to, and it goes back to self awareness, right? Yeah, you know so super interesting stuff it is we are weird beasts <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i know what are you uh what are you reading right now are you reading anything interesting um what am i reading right now i'm like looking over at my books um oh the places you'll go i see dr yeah, seuss i have to tell you i probably reread that every year <laughs> yeah. um it. it's funny when we we would do these <coughs> super high-end like training like only like 10 month training programs for conscious entrepreneurs and we give them a book list in the beginning we actually would deliver a box of books which were part of the curriculum Mm -hmm. and other places you'll go is actually mandatory reading that's great because it i mean when you read it you're like this is an amazing (laughs) guy like it just describes all of life and all of entrepreneurship and it's it's so good so yeah it's like sitting on my bookshelf right there right over like steve jobs biography um actually the book that's sitting next to it the coaching habit is do you know michael bungay stanier Uh -uh. Uh, i should totally talk to him um he's an old friend of mine and he was you know years ago he was known as like the leading coach in canada or wherever it was and he started a company called box of crayons and he's a phenomenally funny, super smart, and intuitive guy who was coach for a long time. And now he's built a consulting company. Like but, a business coach. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And um, But he basically, he realized that um, a lot of coaching is really very straightforward. And that they're essentially, according to him, there are seven questions. That if you understand these seven questions to ask, why to ask them, and sort of the order to ask them in. Not just for coaches, but for partners in a relationship, for parents, for whoever it is, these seven questions are so stunningly effective at guiding really, really constructive and powerful conversations that lead to, to, to outcomes, like legitimate outcomes where people feel genuinely heard and felt and changed and empowered. Um, and so, so he, he put those seven questions right. in and this so what book. Are, what are, like, what's an example of a, one of the questions you know off the <sighs> um, so um, I, I don't remember if this is the exact language, but one of them is, um, and what else? You know, so we tend to ask somebody, so I think maybe the first one is something like, tell me what's on your mind, mm-hmm. right? Which it, it, it's, it's so simple, but it's actually, there's so much nuance under there. You know, like we're not, you know, we're just like creating this open canvas for somebody to actually really say what's going on. Yeah, and one of the other ones was, um, and what else? So normally we ask a question, somebody gives an answer, we're like, okay, cool, let's get to this, let's solve the problem right. now, right? 
And he's like, no, 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 no. Like that first thing, that's, that's the surface stuff that you kind of need to clear out uh-huh. first. You know, and you keep asking. So like, and, and what getting, else? Getting the layers. Right, and, and the what layers else? And, the and what else? And what else? Until you're like, oh, that's what's really right. going on here. And that we never asked that. That reminds me of, uh, Ira Glass always says this, one of his favorite questions in an interview. Ira Glass being of This American yeah. Life, you know, f- amazing interviewer. He'll say, uh, what do you make of that? Yeah. When he's interviewing somebody, you know, which is so open-ended, I love but that. it's an open template. I'm going to have to start using it. <laughs> yeah, oh, what do you make of that? Right. Yeah. Well, I, one of the things I've, that I've actually gotten into the habit of saying, um, is, uh, tell me more about, mm-hmm. um, because I'm just kind of like, I just want to know more, but I, I don't want to define the parameters. I want to see like, what, what is somebody going to feel is important enough to tell me more about? Like, I want them to decide that. What has your podcast journey meant to you? Like you've been doing it, we, you know, it started out as a video series and then, you know, you've gone to, gone to basically just audio, but you've been doing it for a while and you've had the good fortune of interviewing like incredible people. Yeah, I it's mean, been you, amazing. you're very gifted at it. You know, I love the show and I always get so much out of it, but I'm interested in what it means to you. Thank you. Um, and, and by the way, the same thing back your way. Um, you know, the, 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 it's been amazing just being able to listen to some of the conversations that you've been able to create. Um, for me, probably two things. One is, I think I used the phrase embodied teachers earlier, maybe not, but what I'm fundamentally looking for is I'm on a learning quest. I want to learn. You know, I'm beginner's mind always, a student always. No matter how much I know, I, I always consider myself a student. So I'm constantly on the hunt for embodied teachers, people who don't just write about and talk about ideas, but people who live it. People where I can actually look at the way that they're living their lives and say, oh, like there's something about that that I want to learn what's underneath that. You know, I want to learn how that happened. I want to learn how this person is in the world this way. And I'm constantly trying to get as close to the source as humanly possible. So, you know, it's interesting in the yoga, when I was in the yoga world, um, and there are a bazillion workshops that you could take. And one of my criteria was always, how close was the person who's teaching this, how close were they to the originator of the idea or the style or the approach or whatever Mm -hmm. it is? Because I want to get as close to the source as possible. So part of it is, for me, it's this amazing learning quest to just find embodied teachers and sit down with them and ask them questions, you know, and just say, like, ah, that's where this is Mm -hmm. coming from. And then part of it is, so there are three things, maybe. So that's one Part of it is, um, as I get to turn around, like I said, I love to teach or at least be in some sort of, you know, create something that has some sort of teaching value to it. So we, we record it. We started video and now we do audio and, um, and we release this into the world. And I don't know about you. I'm curious whether you've got this, but, you know, I've been in business a long time. I've created companies. I've done all sorts of different things. I've taught a lot of different things. Um, I've written a lot. There's, I have not done anything that's gotten the level of response that this has given me. Have you, have you, without a doubt? Yeah. It's crazy. Right. It is. I mean, I started it with very low expectations of it being anything. Uh, and of course I'm very proud of the books that I've written and all of that, but this is a very different thing and it connects with people and resonates with people in a way I would have never imagined. Yeah. You know, it's it's amazing. Just like being in New York, like, walk down the street and people are like oh rich roll pie i'm like what <laughs> you know it's like it's audio they don't you know like why yeah. do you even know who i am it's and it, i think the thing for me is is that um the most gratifying thing for, i mean beyond the fact that like it's 
you know, the greatest scam in the world to be able to convince amazing people to sit down with right, you right. And, and, and talk it's to like, you. It's like, I have a podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and getting to share that with people. But then interacting with people who have been really not just positively impacted, but like profoundly impacted. Like yeah. I'm sure you get incredible emails from amazing. people and they tell you very intimate details about their life and how their life has changed. And yeah. that is, you know... That is, you know, I, I can't think of anything, you know, more gratifying for me, you know, to do in my life. And in terms of like, you know, the, the contribution bucket, like mine is it's very huge. full as a result of, of doing this show. Yeah. And it, it feeds me and to know that it is, um, you know, providing that kind of value, uh, you know, to people I've never met is just, it's an extraordinary thing. And I'm sure you've experienced that. Yeah, daily. same thing. And it's, it's just amazing. Um, so that was the second thing. The third thing is it's just fun. Yeah. It's just straight up fun. I mean, you and I, we're hanging out right now. So um, we're in my living room. We're working. Right. <laughs> you know, we've got like, uh-huh. I had an excuse to go and buy some really awesome audio equipment. So gear, hashtag yay. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. And we're hanging out in my living room. And this is, yeah, this is our jobs. And just having a really enjoyable time. I mean. And the thing is, like, if we'd gone out to lunch, like, it would have been good. But like. Like we're, I, I know that I'm going to walk away from this conversation and I'm not going to forget it. And I'm like, yeah. we, we just had this really cool experience yeah, you know? so totally. on a very personal level. There's that as well. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's given me a lot. And then the interesting thing is like, then we go from here and it's like you said, you'll walk down the street and, and people will, will like see you and say, Oh, rich. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we hold these events and stuff like that. And it's, it's like when I step, I mean, when I step into one of those experiences, it's like there's a, a level of knowing and relationship where you kind of like you know, everyone just runs up and hugs. They know you already. Yeah, yeah, there's yeah. no introductory period. Right. Yeah. But there's also a projection onto you. Like, yeah. And an True. expectation like, okay, this is the guy, right? Like, so, and you're meeting these people for the first time. So, how do you like weather navigate that? Yeah, I'm, a, I'm an introvert um, too, which is always interesting. Um, I. I know myself well enough now to sort of understand how to set my own boundaries, when to lean in and when to step out socially. Um, and also, um, probably I'm constantly sensing for assumptions about who I am and a level of connection um, that I might feel in any way is is off. <laughs> um, mm. It's very rare that stuff like that happens. We've been so blessed. I mean, our commu- we have an, an astonishing community. Um, you know, like camp, we have 375, probably more than that, actually, people coming in literally from all over the world to, to live communally in kids' bunks. Wow, yeah. I didn't realize it was that big. Yeah. So where is the summer camp? This is, we rent a, like a kid's sleepaway camp 90 minutes north of New uh-huh. York City. And, um, and it's 130. 30 acres, 160 acres, something like that. You know, it's like you see in the movies. It's this beautiful, super awesome thing. And, and people are living in bunks. And so it's three, intense. Three days? Yeah, three and a half days. Uh-huh. Right? So, so what's the program? So it's this, so it's everything. It's all the fun activities of like a kid's sleepaway camp. So it's like bonfire and, you know, like a um, talent show and color games and like, you know, arts and crafts and all like, all the like stuff, so, like, right? Except grownups are different, right. right? And, uh-huh. and, and then, um, but also we're, we're, and then we work in all sorts of really cool workshops and programs around entrepreneurship and making and things like that. So, um, and just sort of like living a good life, um, whether it's positive psychology to book binding, to branding, to 
all sorts of different stuff and like a full range of health and fitness and like morning activities and yoga and all this other stuff. Um, But one of the big parts of it too is just doing nothing. You know, it's being transported out into a natural environment, like withdraw yourself from your everyday environment, drop yourself into this sort of like beautiful place in the middle of the woods, um, surround yourself with, with a decent number of people. And what's, what blows us away is that uh, we figured eh, most of the people would be from the Northeast or New York. Very few people are. Mm. We have people getting on planes, trains, and automobiles from the other side of the world, all over Europe, Australia, Asia, South America, Central America, um, Africa. It's unbelievable. Um, so it's a really international community that all comes together and plays, and it's this amazing sort of like cultural exchange. And and But we set, it's like we create the container, we create the ethos, there's a, share, a sense of shared values. So very often, even though there's a ton to learn about business and contribution, we kind of like focus on the three buckets. There's programming for each of the three. It it is entirely possible to spend the entire time there, like like having amazingly deep conversations with a small group of people the whole time and never having any clue what they do for a living, because mm-hmm. often it just doesn't go there, mm-hmm. you know. And um, because I'm an introvert and I'm also sensitive to people's sensitivities. Uh, we also we create all sorts of ways for people to move into it gently, um, but at the same time make sure that you know that because a lot of people come alone that you're welcome from right. the moment that you show up. Um, so we like crazy things like uh, the first night we've done uh, what we call people bingo. So we'll have a bingo card, but instead of having you know, like numbers and dots, it'll be like 25 boxes. It's like find somebody who speaks Italian, find somebody who's right. read two books in the last like uh-huh. two months. So we're like Forcing giving interaction. Yeah, we're we're giving you an excuse zone. to just walk uh-huh. up to random people and say hello. Um, and there's something about just the shared the ethos of our community where it's the most like BS facade free, um, just cool. Uh, community people it's just uh, well that's the vibration that you're putting out so you're going to attract you know people that are you know attracted to the kind of message that you're putting I'm not surprised that you know that's the caliber and the quality of the person that's that's going to show up for your camp they're amazing people how many years have you been doing it this will be the third year third year Yeah. Yeah. yeah and do you have like uh, like other like people that are experts in different fields come in or do oh, yeah, you just tons. have a team you do no uh-huh. we have like a big oh, faculty so cool. yeah that comes in and does all sorts of stuff so yeah just as people fly in to be campers you know people flying from all over the place uh-huh. to teach and to be a part of it um, and it, and we draw everything from I have people we have people on our team that were um, that I trained as yoga teachers like back in the day when I actually owned a studio and was teaching yoga to um, one of my buddies from high school ended up being the um running his own sort of like dj company and being like the sort of big local radio dj in woodstock new york which Mm -hmm. is like 20 minutes from where we do this and so like whole come over and you know spin record you Uh know like one night and just hang out it's like you know we're playing frisbee um (laughs) in the middle of the field Uh and it's like wait a minute you know like we're both 50 and, but it's literally, it's like we're 17 years old. Did like, you go to summer camp when you were a kid? I didn't. Or, no, so no, this no. is like right. all about yeah. like you recapturing this thing this that you didn't get me. when you were yeah. a kid. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm getting a very clear picture Exactly. Yeah. That's beautiful, man. It's amazing. I love it. It's amazing. And and I, I mean, I mean, I can't, I can't talk about it without also talking about my wife, Stephanie, because she really runs camp and she's, she's my partner in business, my partner in life and so much of Good Life Project. 
everything having to do with it flows from who she is as a human being, just like radiating, you know, like kindness. And she's full, like full time works with you yeah, yeah. now, right? Yeah. Like, and that's, that's a relatively new development. It is. The last two years or two so. Two years. Yeah. yeah. And so how is that? I mean, cause I work with my wife right. too. Like how, how do you, how do you, you know, what are the pros and cons of that? And how, how do you deal with stuff that comes up around that? Yeah. So, I mean, we're really fortunate in that, um, we love to be around each other. Um, we have pretty different skill sets. Um, and they're two different skill sets and they're, they're all really needed. So we started working out together, at least in this business where we were doing a lot of events and retreats and programs. And she's amazing at actually coordinating on the ground experiences and delivering just like astonishing levels of detail and delight and Mm -hmm. creating these, um, levels of touch that are um, incredible. Um, and so we just started doing it more and more very organically. It wasn't a plan like, okay, now is the time we'll start working together. So we just started doing that more and more because I'm... I'm more wired to, um, you know, like create content and media and experiences and do the front forward facing stuff and the branding and speak and things like that. And, um, and even though we work, we have very different modes of work. Um, they still complement each other and, and the, the things that we do are very different and they complement each other. So it just happens to work really well with us. The, the challenge is probably that we both really enjoy working with each other. We're both somewhat maniacal about if we're going to do something, we're going to do it at the highest possible level, and we want to set the bar for whatever it is that we're doing. And um, so that can lead to scenarios where we're working a lot. Yeah, you're not. You don't know. There's no off switch. Yeah, and that's, that's the biggest thing. Yeah, like, do you find that also, Julie? Well, it's very similar in that we, you know, Julie and I have very different skill sets. Like, yeah. she, and and I'm very similar to you. Like the speaking and the writing and the content creation yeah. is like kind of where I excel and. She's she knows how to produce, you know, right. a big event or a thing like like she can get a macro vision and she can multitask and I tend to like you know be able to just do one thing. Yeah. One time. So all of that works really well. I'm but so it is like, to you. It's like when we go out, you know, if we're going out to dinner, it's like okay, is this a date or a business meeting? Like right. what are we doing? And and like trying to have some you know intention, yeah. you know, behind what that is becomes you know something that you have to be paying attention to. Yeah, and that 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 I think is the the one big thing is that it's. Just because you really enjoy what you're doing and who you're doing it with, you know, doesn't mean you can't actually have too much of that too. Mm-hmm. You know, so sort of sometimes we just have to kind of say like, okay, let's step away from right. this a bit. Well, on the uh, maniacal attention to detail, yeah. you know, <laughs> I, I'm going to blow some smoke up your ass. I, <laughs> I will say this, you know, your everything from how you laid out your websites to you know the content that you create is always you know is and always has been of like a super high caliber and i've always appreciated that and i think you know we're in this world where there's a lot of you know uh sort of charlatans is the wrong word but there's a lot of you know people in this kind of self-help space and you know the internet has allowed you know it's created an amazing uh mechanism and vehicle for people to be helpful and to create communities and all of that is an amazing thing but um it's sometimes it's difficult to figure out um, you know, separate the wheat from the chaff, so to speak, especially when there's kind of a culture of sales funnels and, you know, email lists and, and, you know, webinar, all this, it's very easy to get lost in all of that. And I feel like you're somebody, I've always been attracted to you because I feel like you figured out how to really maintain a level of honesty and integrity, um, in, in what you do. And it, and it's not lost on me. Like I'm very aware of those conscious decisions that you've made around that. Thank you. I I appreciate that. And, um, I'm same thing back your way. Also, I look at everything that you do and I'm like, wow, this is beautifully executed. 
and really compelling and but at the same time it just feels real it feels like uh there's actually like i can feel the human beings behind it um yeah and to us you know it's interesting something happened actually the genesis one of the the genesis of of uh, good life project was that at the end of 2011 i started writing a blog post um and it was supposed to be my year in review which i would do every year as a blogger turned into this 40 page like warren buffett style designed annual report and um and in there i teased at the end this thing called good life project and i didn't really know what it was going to be mm-hmm. or if it was going to be at the end but it, i i sort of shared these ideals and i spent a lot of time and energy designing this and really writing something and the response to that was tremendous it got shared all over the place and then these 10 commandments of business conscious business got shared it kind of woke me up to the fact that the the number of years before that, um, I hadn't been operating on, on the level that I was capable of operating. You know, creating something beautiful, really going deep and investing my time and not just kind of like making it good enough, but actually saying, no, I want to create something that's really good. It reminded me of what I'm capable of doing. It reminded me of the joy of not just shipping, but actually like, you know, it's important to get your stuff out into the world, but really trying to do something exceptional. You know, like if you're gonna do it, just like do the hell out of it, um, and it brought me back. And and when I saw the response, and and I remembered that I had that in me, um, I was kind of like, you know what? I don't want to do anything again that doesn't rise to this level. You know, I want to serve on this level. I want to delight on this level. I want to solve on this level, and I want to create on this level. And so. I and granted, I drift away from that sometimes. You know, sometimes I get distracted. I'm kind of like, oh, it's good enough. And then I try, but I try and catch myself and be like, no, that's not what I'm here to mm-hmm. do. Like, good enough is not what I'm here to deliver. I think that's a beautiful place to wrap it up. Cool. But I can't let uh, I can't let you go without maybe imparting a last uh, you know word of wisdom to you know somebody who's out there who perhaps is feeling stuck in their life. Uh, maybe they're 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 looking for the eject button out of their cubicle or or whatever it is and just can't figure out that first step. Mm-hmm. You know what would you suggest is you know an initial action that somebody could take that's that's simple that's digestible that could perhaps shift their energy and 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 start them you know reconfiguring their trajectory Mm. that's a really good question um a lot of directions i could go with that i want to keep it simple um i would so to me there's a precursor to action especially when it comes to career and contribute on the contribution side of that and that's always self-knowledge self-discovery so thinking of a single question you could ask yourself to start to know, get to know yourself better. Um, and it's really, it's a question, um, it's asking yourself what's important to me, you know, and take out a page of piece of paper and just free write. Does There's no right or wrong answer. Define important however you want to define it, but just on the top of the piece of paper, write down what's important to me. And just start to, like, whatever pours through your mind. Don't do it for anyone else to see. Assume nobody will ever see this, actually. And just start to free write and see what comes up. And you may surprise yourself. You may laugh. You may cry. You may get back in touch with something that you thought you had lost in a long time. Um, That's the seed. That's the seed, you know, because that guides what the next action will be. Mm -hmm. I think that's that's beautiful advice, and that's advice that I've taken in my own life. And I, would, I think I would just add to that that 
you know, you might have to write for a little bit before you can crack your core and mm. get into whatever is really going on. And if yeah. you can't think of anything to write, then write, I can't believe I'm writing this and I hate writing this journal until, you know, an honest uh, thought comes up that might, you know, spark some yeah. insight uh, that could then shift your energy. So, yeah. Sometimes it takes a little time. Yeah. Or a couple of days or a couple of weeks or whatever, but start with that first sentence. Indeed. Thanks so much, man. Ah, thank you. I'm uh, I'm I'm so psyched and happy for all your success. It's well deserved. You're a beautiful guy with a great message, and you're impacting lives in a in a really tangible and profound way. And I wish you only the best and wind in your sails, my friend. Thank you. So the book is How to Live a Good Life. It comes out October 18th, right? Yeah. Um, when do you want me to post this? Um, it's August now. I know. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> yeah. like- Actually, um, I can post it on. Uh, I post every Monday, so we can yeah, figure like, it out whenever you want. Yeah, like the Monday before yeah. would be awesome because we have some like super cool uh, pre-order stuff. We're like we partner with a oh, tree, cool. a tree planting foundation. Oh, actually, awesome. and we're planting a tree for every book pre-order. That is the best pre-order right? incentive I've ever heard. That's yeah. phenomenal. Because I'm like, you know what? Let's just let's do something that's not just good for us. Let's well, let's mm-hmm. do something that like actually makes a difference on a bigger scale. That's really cool. Yeah, I'm sorry. Well, best of success. Have a great time at camp. Thank you. All right. Peace. Plants. What a delightful gem that Jonathan Fields is. I really appreciated his openness, his candor, his vulnerability, and his contemplative nature throughout the course of this conversation. It was really great. I hope you guys got a lot out of it. Uh, please make a point of picking up his new book, How to Live a Good Life. You can do that by clicking through the Amazon banner ad at ritual.com. I would also suggest checking out his podcast, Good Life Project. Uh, you can find that on iTunes. And also, it began as a video series, so you should check out the Good Life Project YouTube page. Some of those videos are really cool. I actually was fortunate enough to do an interview uh, with Jonathan on video back in the day, and you can find that there as well. Uh, as always, please make a point of checking out the show notes on the episode page at richroll.com. We've got tons of links and resources uh, and tools where you can do a deep dive on Jonathan and Good Life Project and learn a lot more about him and who he is and what makes him tick. Uh, so check that out. And thank you so much for sharing the show with your friends and with your colleagues around the water cooler and on social media. I appreciate it. Thank you for leaving a review on iTunes and also for subscribing on iTunes. If you have not subscribed to this show on iTunes, what are you waiting for? It's one click away. It really does help us out a lot. And again, appreciate everybody who has made a habit and a practice of using the Amazon banner ad uh, on my site at ritual.com. It really does help us out a lot. It doesn't cost you guys any cent extra. It's just Amazon kicks us some affiliate change and that really um, allows us to do what we do here and it does not go unnoticed. If you want to contribute even further, we now have a Patreon page. You can find a banner for that right next to the Amazon banner ad on my site. Uh, Also, have you subscribed to my weekly newsletter? It's called Roll Call. It's a free short weekly uh, rundown of just a few tips and tools and resources, things I've enjoyed over the course of the week, five or six quick things. It's really short, no spam. Uh, I don't share any of this info on my blog or anywhere else, so if you want in on it, you have to subscribe. Um, and I'm never going to spam you. It's no big deal. You can subscribe. By, and there's tons of places on my website where you can fill in your email address and all that kind of stuff. For all your Plant Power merch and swag needs, go to richroll.com. we got signed copies of Finding Ultra, of the Plant Power Way. we got Plant Power t-shirts. we got tech tees. We've got all kinds of 
sweet swag and merch. Uh, mad love to Jason Camiolo for his audio engineering wizardry and production on the show. Uh, Sean Patterson, who does all the graphics and makes it all look super pretty and cool. Uh, Chris Swan for production assistance and for help compiling the show notes. And theme music, as always, by Anna Lemma. Thanks for the love, you guys. Thanks for the support. Uh, keep sharing the show with your friends. I love you, and I will see you soon. Peace. Plants. Yeah.